Hey everybody and welcome back to the Build With Biggle podcast. This is episode number five and today I am joined with James Krieger. Now admittedly this interview was carried out in 2017, three years ago um, and the reason I brought it back, I've been listening to me old episodes thinking is that still relevant and the answer is yes, we still move around, we still fidget, neat is still a thing and always will be a thing um, so I thought when it comes to health and fitness it's important that we maybe listen to the same message again and again and maybe you listened to this three years ago um, and maybe now you've kind of came on a little bit and you can listen to it back with a kind of new understanding and maybe listen to it under in a different light so it's always good to just kind of read things watch things listen to things over and over again that's how we learn now james is an awesome presenter he's been on multiple podcasts and um, you can find those podcasts on weightology.net um, he has a master's in nutrition he's got he's got published research his research review is something that i urge you if you are interested in being ahead of the game as far as muscle building and fat loss is concerned head over to weightology.net usually people leave that to the end of the podcast i'm getting straight in there and saying hey go there read james's stuff go through his back catalog of stuff because it's all fantastic um today's discussion is about neat non-exercise associated firmogenesis we're just going to get straight into the podcast and i'll catch you at the end enjoy so firstly i feel it's important that we should talk about uh, metabolism because we all know that person who can essentially eat what they want and it's claimed that they must have a fast metabolism so firstly james if you wouldn't mind just telling us what uh, what is the metabolism and what's it made up of so um yeah when we talk about metabolism what we're talking about is our uh, rest usually, I mean, at least when I think in terms of metabolism, we're talking about our resting metabolic rate. So resting metabolic rate is just the energy your body needs just to stay alive to, you know, keep your internal organs functioning, everything like that. I mean, to measure resting metabolic rate, you have to wake up in the morning, you know, after an overnight fast, you know, no caffeine, no food, nothing like that. You go into the lab, you lie down, they put, put you in a, what's called a metabolic hood. Um, and you lie there for like 30 minutes or more. Um, and you know, we measure your oxygen consumption and carbon dioxide production. And basically we get a measurement of your resting metabolic rate. So that's, that's, what we would consider metabolism and um but that's just like one component of the calories you burn each day there's also obviously the energy you expend through physical activity and then finally there's a third component um called the thermic effect of feeding which is just the energy you expend digesting food so so those are the things that kind of make up your calorie burn each day i mean the, the biggest chunk does come from your metabolism but uh but there's other components to it as well cool what sort of percentage wise would uh the metabolism be made up of them so, so, so it depends on how active you are so the more active you are the lower percentage your meta your resting metabolism makes up 
So I would say in a sedentary person, you maybe 75% of their daily energy expenditure comes from just metabolism. In a physically active person, that might be maybe closer to maybe 60%, you know, and, you know, a really extremely active person, it may even be down to 50%, but, um, uh, but yeah, so, so that's, that's what kind of percentages you're looking at. And the thermic effect of feeding, that's always around 8 to 10% or so yeah, like that. Yeah. Cool. Yes. So we are assuming these more physically active people aren't necessarily athletes. These are just people who have relatively kind of active lifestyles, which brings us into NEAT. So if you wouldn't mind just telling us what it, what NEAT means and uh, what is NEAT in itself. Yeah. Yeah, so NEAT stands for uh, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So when we think in terms of energy expenditure, and, and remember I mentioned that one component of energy expenditure is physical activity, you can divide physical activity into two components. There's uh, formal exercise, so you know that's planned exercise, whether I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to go on the treadmill or go out for a run or something like that. Um, that's formal planned exercise. That's one component of physical activity. Then the other component is basically NEAT, and pretty much that includes all of your physical activity that is not exercise. So that's everything from walking from, you know, down the stairs, you know, if you have a two-story house, walking down the stairs, to moving your mouth as you talk, to fidgeting, uh, just maintenance of posture, you know, the muscle activity needed to stay upright. Uh, all of those things are incorporated into NEAT. That's why it's called non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So um, pretty much all of your non-exercise activity, that's that's what it incorporates. So uh, um, some people kind of genetically or biologically more prone to be more NEAT than others? Yes. Yeah, so <clears throat> there's a lot of good evidence that shows that um, NEAT is at least partly biologically regulated, which means that there's a genetic component. There's a uh, some people just are are naturally more spontaneously active than others. I mean, even if you confine someone to a, you know, if you take people and confine them to a small room where they can't really move around much, you still see wide variation from one person to the next in terms of how much they spontaneously move. <clears throat> and, and again, there's evidence that's genetic. Uh, we can even, we even see it in rodents. You can actually breed rodents to be physically active or not. You can breed them so that some rodents, if you put them on a wheel, they'll start to run. And other rodents, if you put them on a wheel, they'll just sit there and they won't do anything. And you can actually breed them to be that way, which indicates there is a genetic drive uh, there and that it's inherited or partly inherited and and some people are just blessed genetically with just this higher drive to move around throughout the day without even thinking about it i mean people aren't conscious of this it's just you know some people like to fidget they just they're you know they kind of have these nervous habits they fidget around like that and other people don't and and it can make a difference when you start talking about totals, uh, people's uh, total daily energy expenditure. So obviously, uh, kind of m modern society uh, must have had such a, a massive impact in kind of in terms of like industrialization and things like that. Could you talk a little bit more 
about how neat's changed over the over especially recent times really yeah yeah so obviously um you know with the invention of the automobile and with all these labor saving devices like dishwashers things like that all of that incorporates into a reduction in neat um and so you know, our society, our modern day society basically is built on convenience and makes things as convenient and easy as possible. And unfortunately, it has an impact of reducing our neat levels. Uh, and so, you know, I have an interesting story. Um, I didn't get to it when I was uh, presenting on the um, on the webinar the other day. I didn't get a chance to get to this, but, you know, just one perfect story to, to actually two stories to kind of perfectly illustrate how how our environment encourages so little neat and we've just become creatures of convenience. Uh, one time I was um, I was going shopping and um, in, in the United States, um, I went shopping on basically what's called Black Friday, which is the day after Thanksgiving in the United States. And it's the busiest shopping day in the world or in, or in the uh, busiest shopping day in the year of the year for the United in the U.S. And I don't know what I was thinking. I normally I don't even go out that day. But uh, so anyway, I, I drove to the mall. And the traffic was all backed up going into the mall. And it was like probably backed up for like five or six blocks. And it, and it took me 20, 30 minutes just to drive five or six blocks. It was a really long time. And so originally I thought, oh, it just must be because everyone's shopping on the busy shopping day. That's why. So I pull into the parking garage and it's like one of these. It's a parking garage. that has got like five levels to it. And there were there was a sign that actually showed, you know, if there were openings on various levels. And, and the fact remained that there were actually plenty of parking spots at uh, on levels four and five. What was happening? What was backing up the traffic is not the busy shopping day. What was backing up the traffic was people were coming into the parking garage and rather than driving an extra two or three levels to find a, get a parking spot. They were waiting for people to come out of the mall so they could get a parking spot as close to the mall as possible. Um, that's how inherently lazy people have become. Yeah. And it was backing it, and it was backing up the traffic. <laughs> I was so pissed off that day. I because like that's one of my pet peeves. I'm just like, come on, just drive up two more levels and walk. It's actually faster. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's just. Uh, but it just shows you how our society is is built to, you know, I mean, we have escalators rather than stairs. I mean, even a perfect example, America, uh, uh, my other story is this American College of Sports Medicine, um, which is probably the biggest uh, exercise organization in the United States. Um, they have an annual meeting and I went to their annual meeting in 2001 and uh, in the conference center, they actually had stairs and an escalator right next to the stairs. And I remember just making that, I remember just kind of making the observation. I was like, wow, you know, this is ACSM. These are all people who are supposed to be promoting physical activity, but I'm seeing a lot more people take the escalator rather than the stairs, seems like. And then what was interesting is on day two of the conference, suddenly someone had put up a sign that said, uh, encourage physical activity, take the stairs, not the escalator. 
And then on the third day of the conference, when you got to the top of stairs, suddenly there was a poster. You know, anyone who's been to these conferences, uh, there's a lot of poster presentations where grad students and, and researchers are presenting their new data, their, their new research. Well, someone, there was a poster presentation at the very top of the stairs that hadn't been there the first two days. And it actually, they had statistics on how many people were taking the stairs versus the escalator. So they actually had people at the top of the stairs counting over the first two days. And they wanted to see, number one, how many people were taking the escalator versus the stairs and way more people were taking the escalator. Then they wanted to see, well, if we put a sign up, does it make an impact? And it did. But still, even after the people put the sign up, still more, there's way too many people were taking the escalator. So um, yeah, we just have all these labor saving devices that's, you know, effort saving devices that, you know, it's, they're nice to have, but unfortunately they have a detrimental effect on our neat levels. Yeah, totally. Um, so how has kind of neat impacted this kind of, um, obesic, uh, like obesity crisis that we're in? Um, how's it contributed to that? So um, it's probably played a minor role. I mean, the biggest role in the obesity epidemic is overeating. I mean, I just presented on this on in Norway uh, a few weeks, uh, just a week ago or so, um, or actually, or two weeks ago. Um, and, uh, you know, the biggest driver has been overeating um, versus lack of activity. But, but the lower neat has been a contributor, particularly – when you look in the earlier part of the century, or I would say like early 1900s, you know, when automobiles first started to be developed and things like that, um, uh, it certainly has played a role. And then I would also say probably in the past decade with um, there's data showing that um, it was kind of interesting. You see a kind of a, a decrease in physical activity levels, you know, from the early 1900s to around 1960, 1970. Then physical activities kind of leveled off, um, kind of stayed pretty steady through the 1980s when, when, um, and 1990s. And then in the late 90s, early 2000s, suddenly physical activity went down again, which and I would say the biggest contributor to that is, you know, the explosion of the personal computer industry, um, the explosion of desk jobs. You know, computers became a very big part of our lives in the you know late '90s, early 2000s. You know, um, and and so you've seen an a, a, an additional decrease in activity now. And and there's different there's different ways that lower activity can contribute to weight gain and obesity. I mean, the first is the obvious one: you're just expending less energy. And if we think in terms of energy balance, if you expend less energy and you're still eating the same amount of food, then you're gonna to start to, you know, let's say you were weight stable before, uh, you're gonna to start to gain weight. And there's even research to show this. If you take people who had physically active jobs and you move them to like a desk job, they they will not, they, they will start to gain weight because their calorie intake won't change. They will continue to eat the same amount of food. And, and so, um, there's evidence on that. And then there's a second additional way that it can be a contributor. There's a lot of good data that shows that, um, physically active people, their brains do a better job of regulating energy intake. And so when you're more physically active, your brain is in more in tune with 
how much you're actually eating and how much you need to eat and your satiety and, and fullness signals and things like that are just more in tune to what you're eating. And so that's another way that physical activity is protective against weight gain. So when you become sedentary, your brain is not as sensitive anymore to variations in your calorie intake and it becomes easier to overeat. So, so physical activity and overeating can actually, and, and neat can actually kind of, uh, there, there's a relationship there. They can kind of play off of each other. Brilliant. Um, can, um, neat kind of be measured because we've got all of these kind of accelerometers or Fitbits or pedometers out there now. Um, what's the kind of most accurate way outside of a, award um of measuring yeah. activity yeah so yeah i mean outside of a metabolic ward setting or something like that i mean accelerometers like fitbits things like that are going to be your best choice i mean for a free living individual and they're useful tools or pedot even simple pedometers work well um there's i mean if you think about it walking walking makes up the the biggest portion of people's daily need so anything to get you to walk more um, it's going to make a big contribution to your neat levels. And so, so accelerometers and, and pedometers, which will track your step counts are really great ways to track your neat levels. And, and what's, you know, the thing is most people are way less active than they think they are. And so when you put one of these devices on them, they, they're like, they usually get, they're shocked. They're like, Oh my God, I, I didn't realize, um, that uh, um, I didn't realize that that I was as inactive as as I was, and so so these devices can really offer you great feedback. I, I wouldn't if you're going to use these devices, I would just go by the step counts and activity counts and things like that. Don't use the energy expenditure values to you know say oh I burn this many calories per day according to my Fitbit. Yeah, uh, it's, they're not accurate enough to do that. No. But if you just look at the, the changes and you want to try to get the numbers up, particular step counts, I mean, that's where they're most valuable. Do you think uh, technology-wise they'll ever get to that point where they're really able to accurately track your energy expenditure? I, I don't think so, just because you would have to... Just how variable it is. Yeah, there, there's too much variability. And just when you think of trying to measure energy expenditure, I mean... No device can capture all of your movement. So, for example, if I'm wearing a pedometer on my hip, you know, it's not going to capture my upper body movement. Um, if I'm, you know, wearing an accelerometer on my wrist, there are certain movements that it won't capture. It, um, it, it can also have a lot of errors in, in um, assessing, you know, what type of movement is occurring and things like that. You know, beyond wearing like, special designed underwear, which has actually been done in some research, um, beyond wearing special designed underwear that basically tracks all of your body's movements. Um, there's really no way to really do it super accurately, um, in a, in a free living individual. And I just don't see how in terms of technology, it could ever get to that point just because of the inherent limitations of measuring movement and energy expenditure in general so so you mentioned walking um there's been a kind of huge uprise in standing desks they seem to be the a bit of a niche right now 
what kind of um ways can people kind of get a little bit more neat in their life and what sort of activities and calorie range per hour can these kind of contribute? Um, well, the biggest thing is I would say again, walking more, um, because even if you walk at one mile per hour, which is a tiptoe, I mean, that's basically usually when you turn the treadmill on, that's the starting speed of a treadmill. And I mean, that's extremely slow. Um, if you walk at one mile per hour, you double your energy expenditure over sitting. So if you walk at two miles per hour, it's even, it, you increase it even more. And two miles per hour is probably the average walking pace of most people. So I would say just walking more and there's various ways you can do that. You know, parking further away from destinations, taking stairs rather than escalator or, or a lift or, or elevator. Um, you can... Um, you know, if you have a desk job, something that I used to do when I, I had a corporate desk job for a long period of time. And, uh, one thing that I did was I made sure I got up once an hour for about five minutes or so and just walked around my building. Um, and the thing is, if you do that, you know, over eight hours, you know, I would accumulate 35 to 40 minutes of walking. So... So just little things like that can add up. You know, it's just important, though. You got to do it consistently. Um, you know, I someone might think, oh, parking further away, does it really make that much of a difference? No, it doesn't. If you if you don't do it consistently, no, it doesn't make that much of a difference. But if it's something you incorporate into your daily life all of the time, then it's going to add up over time. And so, you know, um, you know, you could expend, I mean, just doing little steps like that, you could probably expend an extra 100, 150 calories a day, you know, just, just making those little changes, you know, in your life. So, um, you could even do things like, Hey, if you like to watch TV, you know, set up a treadmill in front of your TV and just walk while you watch it. You know, I mean, I even I buy mean, one of them little cycle things that you can put at the foot of your chair. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. They yeah. Don't, they don't so, look sexy, so, but you know, yeah, it's something. So um, I'm just wondering if people uh, just get a kind of increased need, um, could they compensate by overeating? Because obviously it's easier to eat 500 calories than it is to expend. Is this kind of something that you've seen that people sometimes just are more prone to overeat to kind of compensate for the additional activity that they've done or expenditure? For the most part, I would say no. I, I would say most people, because NEAT is so low intensity um, in terms of activity, it, it's not going to really have any type of hunger stimulus to it. I mean, even just with regular exercise, if you look at uh, on average, I mean, most uh, people on average exercise does not increase people's calorie intake. So so if exercise doesn't do it, NEAT, I, I mean, there is going to be some inter individual variation and some people... There is, we know in terms of exercise, there's a subset of people who might be classified as what we'd call hedonic eaters, uh, people who really are very sensitive to food reward and and um, eat a lot for pleasure and things like that. Um, they may have a tendency to compensate, at least in terms of exercise, whether they do it in terms of meat or not, I, I, can, I can't say. Um but I would say that's probably a very small portion. I would say, I mean, I'd say the vast majority of people will get a 
a benefit um, out of increasing their NEAT levels. And, and I don't see you'll, I say most people, you're not going to get much of a compensatory response, if any. Awesome. Um, so what sort of things can contribute to a decrease in NEAT? Well, we do know that um, simple weight loss will cause a decrease in NEAT. Um, and that's your body's way of trying to defend against weight loss. We, our bodies like to try to conserve energy. Our bodies don't like to lose weight. And so one way that your body fights is through de- decreasing your NEAT levels. And you're, you're, a lot of times you aren't even aware of it. You might fidget less, move around less. Um, you may be sitting around more and not even realizing it. Um, and that's your body's way of trying to compensate for the loss of activity, or I say the loss of weight. And so that's why it's so important for people who are trying to lose body fat to, that's why I think devices like pedometers and accelerometers are so important because you can use that as feedback to make sure that you, um, don't end up decreasing your activity levels in response to weight loss. So from the sounds of it, you use these with your clients quite a lot. Yes. As, yes. I actually, I, yeah. yeah, I actually have them. I actually, I have them wear it outside of their exercise session. So I don't, I actually ask them not to wear it during their exercise sessions because I know they're doing the exercise. I don't need, they don't need the accelerometer for that. What I want to know is how active are they during the other 15 hours out of the day that they're awake? Um, that's what matters because that, um, cause you could have a great exercise session. You could have a, this great exercise session, but if you sit around the rest of the day, you end up just canceling out the benefits of that exercise session. And there's even research shows that some people have been found to actually compensate so much that they, they end up decreasing their overall energy expenditure, even though they're exercising because they, you know, whether it's psychological, maybe they think, oh, I did my exercise for today. I can just sit around and relax now. Or whether it's just their body's way of saying, hey, you know, you've been expending too much energy. We're going to force you to conserve it. Whatever the mechanism is, um, there's some there's some people where that happens to. And so, again, that's why it's so important to have that accelerometer feedback to make sure that's not happening. I think the important thing with these as well is for people to realize they're not 100% accurate. For example, I was burping my child before. Um, just doing round circular motions on his back where, with the uh, Fitbit hand, and I hit my fifteen thousand steps. So, you know, they're not <laughs> they're not a hundred percent accurate, but at least they're gonna be a little somewhat consistent. Because, you know, I've seen people uh, almost live their life through uh, their accelerometers, as they do on say my fitness pal as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is a little bit scary, but um, let's move on to the next question. Um, so we mentioned earlier it's um, a downregulation in NEAT, which is kind of really stalling people's progress over the kind of their fat loss goals. Many contribute this to a slowing in metabolism. Is there any truth to that? So... It is true that metabolism will slow down with weight loss, but it's not enough to stop your weight loss. So, I mean, the, the slowdown that occurs maybe might account for about 100 calories per day. That's not enough to 
that's not enough to to be the reason why someone's not losing. Um, uh, the big reason is is because people's NEAT levels go down, and and some of the data shows that people's NEAT levels will decrease by three, four hundred calories a day or more. Um, and and that's why it's happening. It's got nothing to do with people's metabolisms. So. So these people, and we'll go back, and I mentioned it at the kind of the start of the podcast. Fast metabolisms, do these exist? Yeah, not not real. I mean, most people have normal metabolisms, and um, these people who seem to stay skinny all the time, despite you know eating a lot, things like that, they do not have fast metabolisms. Uh, it's been tested in research. It's even been tested anecdotally on myself. I've always been accused of having a fast metabolism, but actually I have a slightly slow metabolism when I was tested. Um, so it's, it's not metabolism. It's because, uh, you know, earlier in the podcast, we talked about genetic neat levels. And, and the bottom line is these people who seem to stay skinny without even trying, they have genetically high neat levels. They are just very physically active a lot of times without even being conscious of it. So, um, so that's where it's coming from, but it's not, it's not a inherently fast metabolism. Like I said, I've, I've always been a pretty slim guy. Um, you know, when I was in high school my dad was said I was so skinny that I would disappear if I turned to the side. Uh, but I've had my metabolic rate tested and in fact it's 10% below predictor, which means it's slow. So I do not have a fast metabolism. So it's got nothing to do with metabolism. It's the fact that, it, that I'm kind of a fidgeter and I don't like to sit still. And I mean, even here talking on the podcast with you, my legs are doing the little up and down thing while I talk to you. So, um, so yeah, that, I mean, that's pretty much what it is. It's just some people g genetically have high neat levels. You mentioned in your uh, webinar last night uh, that resistance training may increase neat. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so there's been a few studies. There, there's not a lot of data on this, so um, that's why I say may. But there's been a few studies that showed that resistance training actually increased people's neat levels. Um, there was one study that was done on elderly people. That's not surprising because, you know, if you get an elderly person stronger, they're going to want to move around. They'll, they'll be more willing to move around more during the day. So that's not surprising. But, but it's been even shown in younger, healthy people. There was one study that compared resistance training to aerobic exercise. And what was interesting is that on the non-exercise days, the people that did resistance training, their neat levels went up. But the people that did aerobic training, their neat levels went down. So I, I would like to see that study replicated before I, you know, before we start drawing any conclusions from it. But there is a, a growing body of data that would indicate that resistance training may increase people's neat levels. You know, what the mechanism is, I don't know. Um, like I said, I, I can hypothesize what it would be in elderly people, but I don't know what the mechanism would be in younger people, but there seems to be at least a growing body of data to suggest that. Cool. Unlike yourself, I do wear my Fitbit in, in the gym when I am training and I've, um, even before I got this Fitbit, I was very habitually like walking around between sets. And this is something that I try and get my clients to do and funnily enough, I own a gym so um when the there was three or four and it looked like a game of pac-man with them all kind of going in and out of the uh the machines but within an hour's session i can pick up 
two three thousand steps you know so these are just ways that i find that we can incorporate kind of neat into our lifestyles do you have any other bits of advice where people can start incorporating some form of neat we mentioned you know standing desks treadmills are there anything else get a dog maybe yeah get a dog walk it um you know there's uh um, really it's just being, a, a, it's just being mindful of your activity. Um, you know, in which these Fitbits really are yeah. kind of a great tool for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you'll get the most bang for your buck just by trying to walk around more. Um, but even, even things like doing, you know, if you're going to wash your car, wash it by hand rather than going through the car wash. I mean, just, uh, you know, things like that, you know, um, they, they can all add up over time. So, um, you mentioned obviously dieting, that's going to contribute to like a decrease in need, changing of your jobs going to lead to a decrease. Your dog dying is going to lead to a decrease. Yeah. Um, what else can kind of lead to a decrease in need? Would, um, would age be a, a contributing factor? Oh yeah, definitely. We know that um, people just become less active when they get older. Um, there's lots of good data that shows that, that this neat levels go down with age, and um, and so that's why it's so important to actually stay physically active as you get older. I mean, you know, people like to blame weight gain with age on slowing metabolism, and again, it's. Yes, your metabolism does slow with age, but not nearly to the degree that um, that where it makes th that big of an impact on your weight. I mean, the, the biggest driver is just people just become less active with age. So, uh, so focusing on activity as people age is also really important. I like the example you gave in your webinar of like your toddlers basically from getting from point A to B, they went diagonally and all over the shop whereas yeah. if, a, if a grown <laughs> if a grown adult was to do that um in the in the business world or something they would be getting some funny looks i i know and not only that but my toddlers run everywhere they want to go you know <laughs> and, and, and adults don't do that so maybe um, you and i should start doing that and just seeing how it i know goes. yeah i know <laughs> um right let's have a little look so yeah another thing that you mentioned just earlier um obviously people can kind of compensate through doing too strenuous strenuous of an activity session in the gym so like obviously a message to personal trainers is it might look good towards the clients if you're in there destroying them but if it leads them to not being able to walk for two or three days then that's going to significantly have an impact on their um, energy expenditure through NEAT. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. So that's the thing is like um, if you're a trainer and you've got a fat loss client, and I'm talking fat loss clients, I'm not talking performance or anything like that where sometimes you got to train yourself and, and push yourself. Um, I'm talking purely from a fat loss perspective. Um, if – if I'm a trainer and I'm just killing my client and I'm just making them exhausted, yeah, they may feel like they had just this amazing workout and I was like, oh, I'm so tired now. But if they're but if they're so exhausted that they're sitting around the rest of the day, you're actually doing them a disservice because you do not want them sitting around the rest of the day. You don't you don't want your clients if you want your clients to lose body fat, 
you do not want them so exhausted that they are sitting around the rest of the day because now they're they're just going to cancel out that you're just canceling out the benefit of the exercise session. So. So, yeah, I mean, we want to give our clients good workouts, things like that. But but we want to be mindful of of just how hard you're working them. And, and re- remember, it's about total daily energy expenditure and not just the energy you expend in the exercise session. Cool. Um, you yourself, you've competed, isn't that right, James? Yeah, yeah, I competed once in a men's physique show just one time, yeah. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I mean, it was a good experience uh, to do. I mean, I don't know if I'll do it again. Um, uh, mainly, it, not because of the fat loss, it's, it's more just, I don't know. The impact all on the, your life. Yeah, especially all the tanning and especially when when you get really close to the show and just all the tanning and all the other crap that goes along with it. You know, it's like, um, uh, and there's just no reason for me to do it. I mean, it, it was a good experience for me. I, I think uh, um, I would only do it again if I felt like I could step on stage with significantly more muscle than I did before. Um, and I've added a few pounds of muscle since my last contest, but I mean, I've been leaning out this past, you know, four or five months and, and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm estimating I've probably only gained maybe a couple pounds in the past two years. You know, I mean, I'm 43, so it's just getting harder and harder to put on size. So, um, you know, so I'm not sure I'll compete again just for those reasons. I, you know, um, you know, it's just not, it's not really, I did it once for the experience and, and not sure I'll do it again. So, yeah, the reason I asked about, uh, obviously competing is cause throughout your dieting period, I'm sure you would have maybe used, uh, refeeds or dieting breaks, which, um, people tout is going to crank up their metabolism but is it what's actually happening is cranking up their kind of ability to their calorie output through neat and um training uh, intensity oh yeah it does it's not really going to have it's not going to have that much of an effect on metabolism especially i mean a lot of people when they do diet breaks i mean they might do it for you know a lot of people do a refeed on a weekend or something that's not a long enough period of time no uh, to, to make a difference in metabolism anyway. Um, yeah, I just think it has more to do with what you just said and also just the psychological impact of just having a diet break. Definitely. You know, Espe- you know. Especially when so. we're getting towards them latter stages of the the diet. So, I mean, from a, um, a kind of public, a Joe public point of view, um, do you think, because they seem to th- feel that diet should be kind of linear, um, would you recommend kind of like diet or maintenance periods? Because at the end of the day, maintenance is the ultimate goal at the at the end of a diet for uh, for the public, really, isn't it? Yeah, and and I, I mean, I, th- I think maintenance periods are pretty good. I mean, really, a lot of times you just end up with maintenance periods anyway with general public. I mean, yeah. especially summertime, you have clients going on vacations and stuff. Usually, like when I'm when my clients going on vacation, I basically try to treat it like it's just going to be a maintenance period for them. You know, I I tell them I was like I was like I'll, I'll always tell them I was like if you can improve, that's fine. But I'm not looking for you to improve on this vacation. I just want you to maintain where you're at right now, and then we'll hit it hard when you get back. You know. Um, and, uh, so, um, so I would say that, 
Yeah, I think they can be helpful for general population, but I think it kind of automatically happens anyway because because we, you know, if you're not a hardcore, you know, physique athlete, you're not, you know, you know, the general population just doesn't have the focus and intensity that a let's say a physique athlete or competitor has, and so they're going to just naturally have times in their lives. Uh, when they're going to end up being in a maintenance phase for a week or two anyway, you know, so, um, so, but I still think it can, uh, yeah, I mean, I do still think it can have benefits, uh, you know, across the board. Awesome. Well, we're going to start wrapping this up, uh, James, because, um, it's coming to that time, really. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, so just to kind of summarize people, really don't have a fast or slow metabolism they are just neat or not yeah pretty much i mean some people just have genetically high neat levels and others don't i mean i'm not saying fast and slow metabolisms don't exist but they are not predictive of people's tendencies to gain weight they don't really matter they so just seem a bit more like a kind of excuse not to yeah. sound harsh yeah 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 where realistically they're just doing sweet fa and they're eating too much yeah yeah so um you would recommend get an accelerometer and or a fitbit and maybe a dog yes yes <laughs> <laughs> and have a couple of kids <laughs> yes definitely how many uh i'm interested the audience might be how many steps do you average do you have a fitbit or an accelerometer? Or, i haven't i haven't been wearing mine for a while so i don't know it's uh the thing is about, I don't know, kids could be a double-edged sword. They could increase your neat levels, but they could also decrease your neat levels because you're so exhausted by the end of the day that you just want to sit around. Yeah, so. I can imagine it. Mine's still just eating and sleeping and doing other things at the moment, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, where can people find you, James? Yeah, so uh, you go to my website, weightology.net, um, and you can... Uh, I've got a lot of free content on there, free articles on stuff. You had mentioned my articles on insulin. I've got, you know, a lot of different stuff on there. I've got a research review that people can subscribe to, um, where I basically go over the latest research in terms of fat loss and muscle gain, things like that. Um, and then all my accounts that people can, my social media accounts are on there that people can follow me. You know, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and, uh, and also Instagram, so people can can find those ways to, to follow me as well. Excellent, James. I've had a really, really good time today. Um, I'm new to this podcast game, and I'm getting a bit more confident, so I feel like uh, that went rather well, I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, and um, I will hopefully be getting James back on the show so we can talk about insulin. So uh, one last time, James, a huge thank you, and um, I'll speak to you soon. Sounds good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And that is it. I would just like to say a huge thanks to James. Um, I enjoyed that podcast. It was very interesting listening back um, at my old self. Three years ago, I remember Frankie was just a baby, uh, so recording these podcasts in this room, um trying to be quiet not to wake him and i'm a loud person i um, have a very loud monotone voice as you may be able to um hear the pitch just doesn't change it's dry um like gandhi's flip-flop 
So I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope you can maybe hear a little bit of an evolution in the podcast. Maybe hopefully I come across a little bit more confident. Listening back to these old podcasts, I'm kind of cringing a little bit at maybe my lack of skills and experience. But this is one of the things with the Build With Bittle podcast and gaining health and fitness is that it's a process and a learning experience. I think many people are intimidated because they are comparing themselves to other people that are in a position that they want to be in. So you may listen to other podcasts and think, oh, that's not very good versus that. Um, People do that with their bodies. They look at maybe a professional or one of these Instagram famous motherfuckers and they're just like, oh, I'll never get there. But you got to realize that it is a process. You will get better. You will learn. Um, and it's important that you take the rough with the smooth and don't get kind of disheartened when things aren't perfect. There's no such thing as perfect, but we can always get better. And there's no peak of the mountain. We just keep climbing and climbing and climbing until we are well there's no end there's no end goal there's no end goal that's my point um i hope you enjoyed that go to weightology.net search for james on youtube in the podcasts uh, format that you use um, the platform that you use and as for me if you are interested in coaching if you are interested in helping um, if you enjoyed the podcast if you want to kind of share it on your social media take a screenshot tag me and james in um, and we'll reshare it and it just helps spread the message the good information that hopefully we are able to share thank you very much and i will speak to you soon goodbye